owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know what time it is, how it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us than when we became believers. The night is far gone. The day is near. Let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably as in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Now this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Open our ears, O Lord, that we would hear the gospel. May your Holy Spirit be the one who teaches us this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Woven together in love. That's about the fourth or fifth time you've heard that phrase this morning. It's the art installation behind us. Woven together in love. It's a fitting picture and an apt description of what the community that is gathered around the Lord Jesus Christ is. And this theme, woven together in love, that's a theme to which we will return again and again this fall, and as Jessica mentioned in the call to worship, even spilling over into Advent as we celebrate Grace Chicago Church 15 years of worship together, 15 years of being woven together in love. It's also a theme that's woven into the portion of Romans where we've been living the past two Sundays and where we're returning today. Now, we mentioned two Sundays ago that this portion of Romans that we're in right now that it begins in the first few verses of Romans 12 and traces through this whole portion that we're in right now that's often referred to as the ethical portion of the letter. Why is it referred to as the ethical portion of the letter? Because Paul spends quite a bit of time here in Romans 12 and 13, and then on afterward, up to the end of the letter, he spends quite a bit of time exhorting the people in the congregation in Rome to treat each other in a pattern of living, to treat each other in a pattern of living that finds its form, its content, and its energy in the cruciform life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. What Paul is doing in Romans 12 and 13 and afterwards when he says, hey, live in a certain way, and there are these echoes of the Sermon on the Mount, and don't return evil for evil, but return good for evil, and, 
and, and, and, and live in a, in a reconciled way and owe, owe no one anything. What, what he's saying there is that the form and the content and the energy of our life needs to be in the shape of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, the shape of the cross. This is why Paul can say in the passage that is in front of us this morning, in so many words, love is all there is. I mean, that's another way to say what he's saying, right? When he says love fulfills the law, love does no wrong to a neighbor, it's really in a way summation of those challenges in the Sermon on the Mount that we talked about earlier. It's really a summation of what came before this in Romans 12, where we're encouraged to live in this remarkably gracious and merciful way with our neighbors and with those outside of the church in particular. Remember in Romans 12, we're encouraged to to make sure that we live our lives in a way where we're doing things that those outside the church look at and they think, wow, I'm glad that person is here. I'm glad that person lives in my neighborhood because they're doing things that are blessing to me. And, 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 and when you sum it all up, it really is like what Paul is saying here. Love is all there really is in the end. The burning, self-giving love of Jesus at work in the world and in our lives. And that is why he can say in the passage in front of us this morning, that's why he can say, put on Jesus. Put him on. The one who puts on Jesus is like the one who gets dressed in the morning. Right? You're putting on clothes. I mean, that's where the metaphor is from. You know, the, the uh, earliest examples of baptism in the, in the early church. You know, you'd go in, to the river um, without any clothes on, take your old clothes off, you go in, you get dunked, you come out, and guess what? Put on some new clothes. We have a song about that, actually, that Davin does during communion sometimes. we we'll have to revive that at some point. But you put on new clothes. And that's, a lot of people think that's why this metaphor is as alive as it is in the New Testament, this idea of putting on Jesus. It's like one who gets dressed in the morning. It's like the one who, if you will, puts on communion every week. It's like the one who who puts on fellowship with one's sisters and brothers on a regular basis. It's one who puts on, if you will, weekly participation in worship as a norm in one's life. And it's, it's like the one that goes and looks for that sock that you can't find, right? Everybody has a sock they can't find in the morning. At least I do. Where's that other sock? You're looking in the dryer, and you're looking in the drawer, and you're looking everywhere for it. And there's parts of our life sometimes, aren't there, that are like that. You know, we're supposed to be putting on Jesus in all these means of grace, and, and each one of us has a struggle with, with putting on one of those, right? So... It's about developing the habits, the means of grace that, that as a sum total equal the putting on of Jesus that Paul has in mind here. Putting on all these means of grace is putting on Jesus regularly, habitually. The one who puts on Jesus in these ways is the one who is empowered by the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of Christ, by Jesus, 
to live into that cross-shaped pattern of living and being and doing that belongs to him. And Jesus gives us that life, that pattern of living. He gives it to us as pure gift. Gift, pure gift. That's why communion is just this archetypical moment in our week. Because when we come to communion, Jesus says, come lay hold of me. Come grab me. Come weave your fingers into mine. I'm giving you myself as gift. Put on Jesus. When we think about putting on Jesus in this way, it's perhaps not as difficult to imagine, as we mentioned last week, that Paul's imperatives to live the cruciform life, these, these, these amazing asks that he, that he gives us, you know, live this way, do this, do that. When we realize that we get them as gifts, by putting on Jesus, it's easier to hear them uh, not as measuring sticks that then become the rulers that whack us. By the way, I talked to somebody the other day who told me that you know, this person is like 80 years old now, and they uh, told me, okay, it's my mom. Why am I hiding her identity? <laughs> You'd rather have a pastor that defaults to this person rather than saying the name, right? So, uh, said that her first grade teacher would walk around and teach them and whack them with a ruler constantly. And, and my mom, who's pretty old school, you know, she thought that was out of bounds. <laughs> and uh, anyway. We, we hear those imperatives, those challenges to live in a certain way, and, and we think of them as measuring sticks that then become rulers that whack us when we don't measure up to life perfectly. We shouldn't hear them that way. We're works in progress, and God surely knows this. We're meant to hear the imperatives as life-giving blessings that come along as add-on gifts with the gift of Jesus with the gift of Jesus' cruciform being that we lay, just laid hold of in communion. They come along with Jesus when Jesus comes to us. So I invite you, next time that you read, you know, one of these imperatives in the New Testament, you know, don't return um, evil for evil, but return good for evil, or, or live in this way or that way, or be reconciled or take reconciliation seriously enough that you'd go and ask someone to, to make things right with you or that you would go and take the lead and tell someone you hurt them. And You know, next time you hear those things, hear them as blessings. Hear them as, 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 as moral wisdom, but also as gifts to be lay, laid hold of. And you'll notice that your life will be transformed in the process. Because these blessings, when we appropriate them, when we receive them, when we grab onto them, when we put on Jesus and put them on, we do all of this in and through worship 
where we're in that posture of praise, thanksgiving, and reception. And this is what takes it out of our hands and puts it into God's hands. And then it comes back to us as gift. You know, I was talking to that same friend I mentioned earlier, Aaron Keeker. We were talking about how, you know, even in traditions that emphasize grace, that, that even in those traditions, there can, there can be this dynamic that goes on where then you still throw it back on yourself because you're always thinking, I'm not grateful enough. I'm not grateful enough. I'm not grateful. I, I, I'm not worthy, right? And, and, and so then it becomes about you again. And so when we, when we appropriate these blessings in the in the paradigm of worship, if you will, we're right, we're right there in the right posture. We're not giving anything to it. We're just laying hold of, accepting, and acting on by faith that God will do what God says God will do. And this focus on worship that I just mentioned, you know, where we're transformed into the kind of people that can do these things, not perfectly, but faithfully more and more, that brings us back to the beginning of this portion of the letter where Paul brings to a crescendo one of the great themes of the epistle, namely that human beings have been set free from the power of sin with a capital S, that power that caused us to worship the creation instead of the creator, think ancient or modern day idolatry there, We've been restored in Christ to our true vocation as those who find our freedom and our true self in the worship of our Creator and our Redeemer. With the whole of our lives now woven into Jesus' life, we can hear these imperatives as blessings and moral wisdom about how to live well and good with others and to be received and acted upon in faith. And when we live this way, a new community is born, and that new community is perpetually renewed, wherein we treat each other differently and treat those in our broader society differently because we are learning about and growing into the pattern of the life of Jesus. And when human actions are in the shape of the cross, the whole of our lives become what they should be, a living sacrifice to God. Sharing in God's work of redemptive love in this world, a worshiping community which is woven together in love. A worshiping community that doesn't just believe the gospel and doesn't just live the gospel even, but a worshiping community that in its own life is a presentation of the gospel, the gospel of God's love for the whole world in Christ Jesus. May we lay hold of Jesus as we get wind in our sails and move into the fall and celebrate 15 years of being woven together in love at Grace Chicago Church. May we find in Christ the energy to live in this way. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.